Hello, and welcome to the Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. For the past few weeks, I've been talking to you about characters, in particular villains and your heroes, and the sorts of character qualities that you should be trying to reveal in story. But today I want to address something slightly different. And in essence, I want to talk about what are the differences between being a screenwriter and being a novelist, and more precisely, how does that affect the writing style? And is there something that novelists can learn from the discipline of screenwriting? And of course, I'm going to say yes, because my area of expertise is screenwriting. And what I've tried to do for years is take some of the principles of screenwriting, some of the principles from Hollywood storytelling tools, and bring them to novelists so that you can apply them to your stories in fiction. And there's one particular thing that still seems to trip people up. I've noticed a lot. And actually, this isn't just novelists who get tripped up screenwriters too, because it is actually really, really hard to learn this. There is one fundamental thing that makes screenwriting different than novel writing. And the reason I want to talk about it is because we're all storytellers, right? We're all learning some of the same principles and they apply to our stories in the same ways. But there are some key differences that I think make all the difference in terms of a person's ability to execute that story in a way that is ultimately satisfying to an audience. And that is ultimately the goal, by the way. We have to satisfy our audience. They have to like it. They have to enjoy it. Recently, I had the honor of being a guest at one of Susie Mae Warren's pep talks for her novel academy. For those of you that don't know Susie Mae Warren, she is a phenomenal writer. She has written over 50 novels and she has won three Christie Awards. She's also won a Rita Award. I mean, she is just a multi-talented, multi-decorated writer. She's incredible. And Susie Mae Warren is taking my class right now called Formatting as an Art Form. So she invited me to speak to her class on some of the differences between screenwriting and novel writing. And one of the things that came up that is just so fascinating is how when you write a novel, everything that happens in the story gets filtered through the character's brain, right? It's their thoughts. The character is observing the world. And so everything that the audience learns, every bit of information that the audience gleans comes through, is literally filtered through the brain, the thoughts of the main character or whichever character that particular chapter is being told through. But it's always about the thoughts and observations of the main character. Now, of course, one of the challenges in novel writing is how do you get those thoughts onto the page? Because you can't just have a character sitting on the porch rocking having all these thoughts. Like that's not dynamic action. And so we're constantly talking about show, don't tell, show, don't tell. 
I am constantly driving home the point that we need to have action, 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 action-oriented stories. Your character needs to drive the action. But this is one of the reasons why it becomes problematic for novelists to do it. Because everything is filtered through the brain of the character that is observing the world around them. And then that's how the audience is getting that information. But that's not how it works in screenwriting. In screenwriting, one of the fundamental differences, besides the formatting itself, which is a pretty big difference, but one of the primary differences is that you can never tell me what a character is thinking or feeling. You can only show me through action. So for example, if you have a character who is, say, sad in a scene, you can never say, so-and-so is sad. I mean, you can, but it's not good writing. So if you want your audience to understand, if you want your audience to pick up on the fact that a character is sad, you have to find a way to show it through character behavior or through visual images or through interactions or what have you. Now I say visual images, but the truth is it's all visual images because again, you have to show me. So for example, I might have a character sit down in front of the television and open up a gallon of ice cream and then proceed to eat the whole thing while they binge watch television in the dark that would communicate to my audience that this person is depressed or what have you. Now that's a different kind of sadness. If I wanted to convey that they were truly sad, grieving some sort of death or something like that, then maybe I would come up with something else. Maybe I would have them still sleeping at two in the afternoon. Maybe I would have them not answering the doorbell when people come and knock on the door and try to check on them and they knock on the window and they're looking through the window and the blinds are drawn and it's black and the character is laying in bed and hearing they have their eyes open and they can hear the knocking but they don't even roll over. Now I know as an audience that person is depressed, right? They're in a deep depression. So you can never tell me what a character is thinking or feeling. You can only show me. Now the reason that this is great is because it forces writers to be active. It forces them to find actions for the characters. So if you wanna show an audience that your character is feeling motivated, instead of having an internal speech that the character conveys through his thoughts, you come up with actions that show me that the character is motivated. So the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. The character jumps out of bed, downs some raw egg, and by God, they're out the door and they're running. And as the sun is coming up behind them, they are already jogging and running, right? This is sort of what we saw in the film Rocky. And now I know that they're motivated because I've been shown. And really, that's what I want to drill home here. I want to just talk to you about how to do this. How do you show me these things? How do you show me what is going on with the character instead of relying on all of these words, 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 and explanations? Visual images. Let's talk about that. How would you do it? 
Well, let's say that I want to show that a character is being corrupted somehow by the company that they are keeping. Well, maybe I will use a visual image to help convey that. So the group of friends comes over, they're pressuring the character, come on, come on, it's gonna be fun, we're gonna do this, and the character's like, eh, okay, all right, let me just get some water, and then they get water, and the water that comes out of the faucet is milky or muddy or cloudy. And now they set that down on the counter, gross, they don't wanna drink that, and they run out. Well, now I have used a visual image to convey the idea of corruption or dirtiness or whatever the case may be in the form of a visual image without ever saying anything. Let's say that I wanna show the evolution of a relationship. In this case, maybe it's between two people that are becoming friends. That's all, just a basic friendship. So you want to show instead of tell how that relationship has progressed. So perhaps in the first scene, they are studying together because that's what they're doing. That's how they've got thrown into um, a relationship together in the first place. So here they are, they're studying for something and something happens, right? Something happens in whatever space they're in where they're studying. If they're in the library, yeah, maybe they're part of some sort of study group. And so the two of them are in this study group together. They don't really know each other. They're kind of strangers. And then let's say that you have another character that's just really kind of weird or really kind of like rainbows and puppy dogs and that sort of thing. And then these two characters kind of roll their eyes and notice each other as rolling their eyes and then they start giggling and all of a sudden we know, oh, they're gonna like each other. They're kindred spirits. They are similar in that regard. They both saw that situation the same way, which by the way is what a lot of friendship is. You see the same truth in the world. Okay, so now they are friends. Well, Let's say that it's a different day now, and here they are, they're studying together, same study group, but now everybody else is really intense and arguing over a certain point, and the two of them kind of back up together and nod at each other, and they sneak out giggling, and they decide to go have lunch. And so now they're sitting there at some sort of fast food restaurant, they're eating french fries, they're talking, and hey, do you mind if I, can I try your french fries there, that sauce? Sure, sure, go ahead. And so now they dip and they keep talking. We find out a little bit more about each other. Then now there's a third scene. Now let's say in this third scene, they're not even going to the study group. They're riding their bikes together. They're gallivanting around. They're laughing. They're weaving in and out. They're talking to each other as they're driving. Oh, look, you wanted to do that. Let's go do it. Let's, let's go take that sailing lesson you talked about. Sure, okay, let's do it. So they go and they do the sailing thing and they're laughing and they pay and next thing you know, they're eating at Burger Bob's and this time they're not even asking to dip their french fries into each other's sauces. They're just doing it automatically and then there's the cute boy that walks in that they both like. I don't know. The point is, I've shown it through visual images. I've given action, I've given action. They've taken action. So it's not something that's being filtered through a character's brain. It's something that is coming to the audience directly through observation. That's the key. 
It's who is the observing influence here. And when it is the character's head, the temptation when you're doing a novel, because it does have to go through the character's head, the temptation is then your characters become very passive. They become just observers rather than actors. And I don't mean actors like performers, like the actual actors. I mean people that are acting, people that are taking action. And we need our characters to take action. We've got to get it out of the head and onto the page or really out into the real world. We've got to give them actions to do. Now, why am I even talking about all this? What in the world? Well, it's because this is just a skill that we need to develop. Whether you are a novelist or a screenwriter, we have got to get better at writing visual images, at writing action. We've got to get better about showing and not telling. It's one of the fundamental skills that we must have as writers. Show me, show me, show me. If you want to show that a character is sorry, then instead of having them say, I'm sorry, have them do something. See, in a novel, you can still have them do something to show that they're sorry. And that is far more powerful. Partly because, and we know this as human beings, Whenever there is a contradiction between what somebody says and what somebody does, we are always going to assume that what they are doing is the truth. If somebody says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but then they go and carve shapes and scratches into your brand new car, well, they don't love you. We're always going to assume that the action trumps the words. So we need actions. We need to see these things. We need your characters to be doing something. So my challenge to you, as you continue working on whatever project you're working on, go through it and see where in your story you have these moments where you're telling us. Anytime you are telling us what a character is thinking or what they are feeling, stop. And then challenge yourself. Okay, how could I show my audience that this is what they're feeling or this is what they're thinking? What visual images could I use that would help my audience to understand those things? So if you ever come across a point in your story where you say something like, she thought about her mother and how her mother didn't have those same opportunities growing up. Okay, maybe you're going to keep that in a novel. You certainly could not keep that in a screenplay. If you were writing a screenplay, you'd have to find a way to show that idea in a scene. But my challenge is to novelists to not rely on the fact that you actually can tell. Don't rely on that. Challenge yourself to show. You will be so much better as a writer. So what might you come up with to show me that your mother didn't have the same opportunities as you had, if that's what the character is thinking. And I'm going to leave that open-ended and I'm going to challenge you to think through that. What could you possibly do to show that? 
And if you have one that you want to share, please send it to me. I'd love to make a competition of this. In fact, you know what? That's what we're going to do. We'll make it a little competition. If you have an idea of how you could show that, send me an email, Zena at thestorytellersmission.com. And I will pick the scene that I think does the best job at showing that idea rather than telling us that idea. And then that person will get some sort of prize. I don't know what it will be yet, but I will figure something out. So if you're interested in participating, then by all means, try to come up with a way to show me that mother did not get the same opportunities when she was a child. Okay, so again, the point here is that we want to try to find ways to show and not tell. This is a crucial and essential element of good storytelling. After next week's episode, I'm going to take four weeks off from the Storyteller's Mission. I'm actually going to take my first break since I launched this podcast back in March of 2020. And during that break, I'm going to be focusing on my online classes and really trying to get some more of those done because I really, really feel like they will be useful to so many writers out there. And then I will also be figuring out what we'll do for season two of the Storyteller's Mission, figuring out where we want to focus, where we want to go. So if you have ideas about that or suggestions or things that you would like to hear about, I would like to hear from you. Now would be a great time to reach out to me and tell me what you would like me to speak on in season two of this podcast. Please send an email to Zena at thestorytellersmission.com and let me know what you would like me to speak on and I will do my best to incorporate that in the plans for season two. But in the meantime, I do want you to really focus on this particular skill, the skill of showing and not telling. It is one of the most important things that you can do. And so while I'm gone, if everybody were focusing on that and trying to up their game, my goodness, we would be so much better writers at the end of the day. As usual, I want to thank you so much for listening to The Storyteller's Mission with Zena Del Lowe. May you go forth inspired to change the world for the better through story.